welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. It's time for your request and dedication. Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude, got Andy and Don with me. Andy, how in the hell are you doing? Doing great, buddy. Doing great. I'd like you to answer in that cadence. (laughs) I am doing just fantastic. Ah, yeah. And Don, what is up? Uh, <laughs> 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 nothing. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> I I don't either. But that was not it. Nothing. It's gonna be a very long wow. show if we do the whole thing yeah. in this cadence. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to tighten it up. So why don't we start with talking about what we're doing on today's show? We love albums. We're talking about them. The musical Wheel of Destiny picked a topic for us, so we're going to be talking about three albums based on that. We're going to answer a question. We're going to spin that wheel and find out what kind of albums we're going to be talking about on the next show. But this week, it's all about that top 40, 1981. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about! In 1981, the Oakland Raiders defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl Fifteen. That's when the, that's when the I could still read the Roman numerals. Uh, the space shuttle Columbia became the first successful reusable spacecraft. Uh, Bob Marley died of cancer at age 36. The arcade game Donkey Kong was released, the first game to feature the character Mario. Uh, the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana was seen by around 700 million people worldwide on television. So boring. It was so boring. <laughs> it was during the summer. Yeah. Like I'm a home from school and I have to sit through that on every freaking channel. Ridiculous. Who cares? Uh, Well, if you had cable, you could watch MTV because it was launched in 1981. (laughs) I did not. Uh, Ric Flair won his first of 20 world heavyweight championships in pro wrestling. The Los Angeles Dodgers defeated the Yankees, uh, the New York Yankees in the World Series. Muhammad Ali fought his last fight against Trevor Burbick. Uh, He lost. And the top movies at the box office were Superman 2, Stripes, and Cannonball Run. Uh, so today, each of us will present an album with a song that was a top 40 hit in 1981. Yeah, this is, we've done this before for, uh, for the year 2001, I believe. Mm-hmm. A little easier uh, for us old guys, I think, for 1981. A lot of classic records uh, released in either 80 or 81 that contained a top 40 hit. For me, I, I got to listen to some good stuff. Uh, Genesis, Abacab, Blondie's Auto American, Iron Maiden, Journey Escape, Queen's The Game. Is that the one with the under pressure? No. No? Damn. It's Another One Bites the Dust. Oh, that's right. Okay. Sorry. And Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Yeah. But if we talk about Queen, I'd rather get into some of their other records. So I'm I'm putting a bookmark in that. And the go-go's Beauty and the Beat. <laughs> Clever. Beauty and the Beat. <laughs> yeah. How about you guys? How'd you do? I did great, man. There were lots of good, interesting options. Stevie Wonder's Hotter in July was probably my favorite record from this year, but I didn't think it was the most interesting. And we talked about Stevie a lot on the show. Uh, 38 Special, Wild-Eyed Southern Boys was pretty enjoyable. And I got to mention a record I had never heard before by an artist I was not familiar with, uh, Joe Walsh, There Goes the Neighborhood. Pretty interesting rock record. Some good blues guitar. You guys familiar with him? He's the personality of the Eagles 
Like, you know, he's kind of the, the wacky guy, is, you know, because they're all so serious. I heard, I heard a joke about the Eagles. They said, oh, it's, it's hard to have, you know, uh, you know, four dominant personalities in, in one band. And Joe Walsh was three of them. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good stuff in 81. Oh, and it did happen to be the, uh, the year I was born. So it's a little, mm. little special sauce in it there. Is, that is magical. Wow. The audience is doing some math right now. Okay. Well, uh, I uh, I listened to uh, a Moody Blues album. Uh, I think one of these days uh, I'll get around to them, but but this was not going to be the album. Uh, that was Long Distance Voyager. Uh, I listened to a, a Quincy Jones album uh, that actually had a, a few hits on it, but it all you know featured uh, a lot of different artists singing on it. Uh, I think that was actually the introduction of of James Ingram. Yeah, I mean that album. I listened to it too because it's got an awesome title, The Dude. But <laughs> yeah, The Dude. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it felt more like like Carlos Santana's Supernatural, where he's plinking on the guitar when twenty other people are writing all the songs and singing them. So, uh, and a, another album I listened sort of in that R and B soul vein was the uh, Shaka Khan. Uh, what you gonna do for me? Yeah, I feel like that's not a great time for for R and B because I, I think they were still sort of stuck in in disco. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the mm-hmm. stuff sounds really dated, whereas I, I think a lot of rock feels, uh, kind of more timeless. Also checked out, uh, Foreigner 4, which, uh, has a, a bunch of, uh, rock hits on it. But yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good year for music. So why don't we get to the choosing? You choo choo choose me? Hey guys, it's Stevie Nicks! Oh, Miss Nicks, I... I don't want to bother you, but could you sing a quick Fleetwood Mac for us? Could you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on, come on. Great. I'm going to kick things off here with the debut record from Stephanie Lynn Nix, a.k.a. Stevie Nix. We're talking about her album Belladonna. We're going to play the lead single, Top 40 Smash, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. thought that was a Tom Petty song. Well, it turns out it kind of is. When I, when I, was, when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> so it was written by Mike Campbell and Tom Petty of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It was given to Miss Nix by, or facilitated by her producer, Jimmy Iovine, uh, who was also working with Tom Petty. Knew he had the song laying around and offered it to Stevie and they collabed on it and it turned out to be a huge hit. Uh, there were also... Three other singles from Belladonna. The album would spend nearly three years on the Billboard Top 200, which is a pretty impressive feat. Uh, so the three words I use to describe this record are Edge of Rock. Uh, well, it's definitely is a pop album. I think there is an edge to most of these songs. They kind of give it a little bit of, of rawness, perhaps you could say. A little extra sprinkle of emotion. Usually it comes from Stevie's voice, but also I think the guitars can have, a, can have a bit of an edge to them as well. Yeah, it's a pretty killer record. Let's play one more track here. This is from the end of the record. The Highwoman? Is that what it's called? The Highwayman. Wanna get high? The Highwayman, right.
Yeah, so that song actually uh, features backing vocals and drums by Don Henley. Of course, Don Henley does the leather and lace duet uh, on the album as well. Don Felder, also from the the Eagles, does slide guitar on that track. And I, I guess this, uh, you know, Stevie Nicks's uh, version of of the Highwayman um, poem, but she she's basically equating the Highwayman to male rock and roll musicians, you know, who were you know sort of seen as romantic characters and uh, on the on the road figures. And she said, you know, Don Henley is kind of the Highwayman, and that's the, the that's the closing cut on the album. The th- Three words I, I chose to describe the album were See Your Gypsy. That's a line from uh, the song she wrote for Fleetwood Mac, which came out not long after this. But yeah, you know, it's uh, you, you could kind of see Stevie Nicks is sort of a, a gypsy-like character, you know, a, a free spirit. Uh, and I think, you know, with this album, like any solo album, uh, you know, you're sort of free from the confines of uh, of your, your band. Yeah, you know, I think this is a, a solid album. You know, it doesn't sound like Fleetwood Mac. You know, when I kind of went back and was listening to to Fleetwood Mac songs and and solo Stevie Nicks stuff, it's 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 pretty easy to identify which songs are Fleetwood Mac and which ones are are Stevie Nicks uh, solo songs. Well, there's definitely some country vibes, yep. some slide guitar, and mm-hmm. I think artists like maybe what Linda Rodstadt was doing at the time and Juice Newton, and I think that kind of informed this Absolutely. a little bit. Yeah, I was say the track after the glitter fades, I think is pretty much a straight up country song on here, which was. Surprising. Definitely. Uh, and she's, uh, you know, she, I think she's a, a clever lyricist and, you know, she wrote all the, the songs on this album except for the um, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. She's got an interesting voice. You know, it, it's not, you know, traditionally beautiful or anything. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, maybe an album, an entire album of her voice, you know, some might see as too much. I, I was, <laughs> I, I was okay with it. Uh, but she's definitely a, a woman who, who rocks. Yeah. She's got a real power to her voice or delivery. I think that, and there's a couple of duets on here too. So it's nice to have an, a little bit of a, a compliment to it at times. Yeah. That leather and lace song. Mm-hmm. I really like it, and I I love Don Henley's um, accompaniment on vocals. But I wish he didn't have a verse. Like I, I I'd rather hear Stevie sing that verse personally. But every time I was listening to it, I was like, eh, Don, I, I don't I don't need you. Not you, Don. The other Don. <laughs> it's one of those rare duets where the male part, like in the harmony, he, uh, Don Henley's actually doing the higher part than than Stevie. All right, why don't we play uh, one more cut? I believe this is another single from the record. This is Edge of Seventeen. all about that little guitar riff, isn't it? I mean, a whole song built around this little thing. Sounds like Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, so like I said, it's all about that guitar riff played by Wadi Wachtel. Wadi Wachtel? Yeah, actually, Roddy Rocktail, but uh, Scooby-Doo got in there. Um, What is going on? (laughs) uh, Apparently, the police's Bring on the Night was the inspiration for that riff. I've always thought of that as her sort of, it's not, I wouldn't call it metal, but it sounds like a hard rock song, like a heart song or something, and I really, I like that about it. Lyrics are kind of symbolic, but apparently... 
the the white winged dove represents spirits leaving bodies and you know when they die and uh she had been thinking about her uncle who had recently passed away and john lennon had been uh murdered at the end of 1980 so that was i think that effect of this uh contemporary and and artist dying really did i never really thought about it but it does impact the other songwriters uh at the time and it is it is uh represented here the three words i use to describe this album are dreamy poetic and enchanting it's stevie nicks so it has that fairy tale gypsy magical feeling to it but it definitely is more her casting the spells than like with Fleetwood Mac. There's that bluesy influence and there's a lot more, um, well, there's other voices, but there's just a lot more collaboration. And I, I really do enjoy uh, her being the highlight here. Yeah, I think she really, I mean, more than holds her own on this. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you guys are a little more positive on it. I thought this was a slam dunk, like 80s classic. In my opinion, I think it's it, it it it's great. I think it's for me. I didn't grow up listening to it. Like I heard songs on the radio, but it really was more adulty. So I wasn't really into it. Stevie Nicks was not. Yeah, she's not talked about. Yeah, she's not at school. Right, you know? right. There's not a lot of appeal for the youngsters here. So I think that's it. I think I came to it later. I mean, I'm sure you did too, Andy. You didn't listen to it uh, on the day of your birth, but um, yeah, I, I really do like it. I think it's a, I think it's a great record. I just don't know her discography very well, her solo discography. Yeah, I don't either, but I know this record pretty well, and I, I think it's um, quite exceptional. I, you know, there's only ten tracks, but I would say the majority of them, the overwhelming majority of them, are, are pretty awesome. And there's a few that are like really stand out just spectacular all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna nominate uh belladonna for the uh the ain house here do it i think it is exemplary i think uh it really does stand up to the test of time it doesn't really sound super 80s to me maybe that's why i like it so much it's got more like that 70s fleetwood vibe to it at least in terms of the sound so yeah i don't know it's a shoe in for me what do you guys think is Don on the phone? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, sort of carrying into the 80s, the, the women who rock thing, you know, so, you know, she's, uh, she's a strong woman, mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a rock world that's still dominated from, uh, by men. Also, her personal life was laid out to bear. Oh my gosh. For the world to I feel see. so bad about that part. <laughs> on, on the Sleetwood yeah. Mac records, yeah. you know. Even this record, too. Like, she gets into relationship yeah. stuff. And, yeah. I mean, could go down that road, but, yeah. That's, that takes guts, especially that in, the, in that period, coming from a, a band who, by the way, Fleetwood Mac was still together. Right. Yeah when she was doing this. Yeah, you know, my only hesitation is, I mean, I do generally prefer Fleetwood Mac songs, like even the Stevie songs that are, you know, Fleetwood Mac. Um, but still, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's an excellent album. So I, I'm, I'm comfortable putting it in the, in the Ainhoffs. Yeah. I feel a little itching and swelling as well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to say yes. Uh, also, I do think it's a landmark album in that she was a strong personality from a well-known band, and then to step aside and do your own thing, but also not do Fleetwood Mac 
music-ish songs to partner up with other contemporaries, other artists that she was interested in what they were doing. I think it was really smart, and I think it's a well-crafted album. I do own it on vinyl. It's in my collection, so we should put it into the album Nerd Hall of Fame as well. All right. Well, there you have it. Congratulations to Stevie Nicks. Well-deserved. Belladonna, Stevie Nicks, 1981. Bunch of great top 40 hits. And now it's an Einhoff member itself. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. It's once again time on the program when we ask ourselves a question. We're album nerds. Hopefully you're album nerds. What makes albums more appealing than singles to us? What is it? What's what's the secret? I think for me, it's like the level of difficulty. You know, you see like those uh, figure skating routines in the Olympics and they're like judging all the different moves they do. And based on that, they come up with a score. Yeah, making a catchy song, like, that's not easy, but it definitely has been done by people who aren't necessarily artists. It can be done, crafted in the studio. Making a whole album, like a full 30, 40, 50 minutes, I think it's pretty hard to fake. So for me, that's I guess that's why I like it. And it's, it feels more complete, too, to listen to something that's an hour versus three or four minutes. Yeah, and there's a... A practical reason, you know, at least going back to, you know, to, to when singles were on 45s, you know, if you're playing a single, you know, you immediately, you know, three minutes later, you had to, to flip it over with, a, you know, with an album, you know, you had right. 20 minutes aside or, or whatever. So, um, so there's that aspect. <laughs> Just lazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to get up. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I suppose my answer is, you know, pretty much the, the, the same as, as Andy's, you know, it's, uh, it's just a longer work of art, you know, that can, I guess maybe a song really reflects like one emotion or, or one vibe or something in an album, you know, can t- kind of run the gamut, you know, can take you on sort of a, an emotional journey. So, I, you know, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it comes down to like people love playlists and, and that's all well and good for specific situations, but an album. A photo album is a collection of pictures that remind you of a certain time or place, right? Oh, we took a trip to Disney. Let's go look at the photo album. And I think it's that. Maybe it's my, you know, the the Gen X generation and generations before that cherished that. So an album, this collection of songs, where was Stevie Nicks in her head in 1981 at this period when she was recording this record? So those songs may not be strung together with one story. They could be. Mm Mm-hmm which is great in concept albums, but just, you know, just what was happening with that band, that artist at that time, what was going on in the world? What do I remember from that period? And also I've listened to so many albums that if I hear a song immediately in my head, I'm expecting the next cut from the album, Mm -hmm. not whatever's next on the playlist. And it throws me off. You know, it was, uh, English tradition, like in the, in the sixties and seventies and even into the early eighties where like the, the singles that were worked to radio did not appear on the, on the albums, you know, which even more sort of highlighted the idea that it's, it's a separate thing. You know, it's a, it's a work that, that stands alone. All right. So how about y'all? What's the deal? Why albums? Why do you love them? Uh, what are the advantages over the playlist? And, you know, they both have their places. So let us know what you think. Albumnerds.com slash Discord. And now, moving up three notches to number five. 
<laughs> okay, so my choice for uh, an album including a, a top 40 uh, single from 1981 is The Police's Ghost in the Machine. Uh, so why don't we start with a, a hit that uh, reached number three in December uh, of 1981. This is Every Little Thing She Does is Magic. That's the best part of the song. I agree. Um, yeah, uh, that's it's one of the rare songs I think where the the verses are actually you know better than the the chorus. I guess it kind of has that sort of melancholy sound. Um, you know, I like the the climbing bass line there, and then there's some horns and you know sort of subtle horns and I guess strings which are you know from a, a synthesizer. Uh, but that song was actually written by Sting, you know, prior to the police uh, in 1976. Uh, he felt it was maybe a little too lightweight uh, or too soft for the band, but he, he did uh, reintroduce it to them in 1981. It features piano by uh, Jean Alain Rousse. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but uh, that sounds right. Ghost in the Machine is the, the fourth studio album by the English rock band formed in London in 1977. Uh, the police are uh, Sting, uh, it's born uh, Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner, who's the, the vocalist uh, and bass player, also plays some saxophone, pretty much the, the primary songwriter of the band, Andrew James Summers, Andy Summers uh, on guitar, uh, and Stuart Armstrong Copeland uh, on drums. I was reading up on these guys because I knew Andy was an older member of the band. He had been in bands before. He is 80 years old. It's not, that just blows my mind. At the time of this yeah. album, he was 80? Yes, at the time. No way. No, he's 80 now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was like in his 30s or late 30s uh, right, or whatever. Right. Well, when well, he said that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess, I can't remember, it was a family member or something. They were worried <laughs> that, that he would sort of destroy the the punk rock cred of of the band because he was like sort of an established character in the you know sort of progressive rock world yeah i mean the the punk rock cred was destroyed by this album (laughs) we'll get to that so the the three words i I chose to describe the album were international new wave all right so um well i mean the police have always had a a unique sound kind of this odd fusion of of reggae and sort of post-punk and you know this this album certainly has that but you know there's a real it's not just you know jamaica it it feels like it's it's from all over the 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 world It, it begins with those three almost like perfect pop songs and then it's like the rest of the album is just a you know a journey uh, around the world more about like grooves um and less about you know like carefully constructed pop songs i i'd say well let's uh let's let's keep going through the the album uh so here's a song called too much information Oh, yeah. So I'll just start with the three words that I use to describe this album. Too much information. (laughs) Like, I don't know who these guys are on this record. Like, it is with the addition of the keys and the the synthy stuff. I'm a little lost. I, I prefer the first three albums. Let's just 
say that. And, and I like synchronicity too. I, I feel like uh, this was just too much for me. Like, I don't know who they are here with the reggae stuff and the the mix of themes and the mix of sounds. Like, I was very disjointed throughout the uh, listening experience. Again, I, I do own this record. <laughs> it's not one that I spin as often as some of the others. The production of that song, a lot of electronic drums, and then the saxophone stuff. I just, it just, it was just too much for me. I do like the call and response vocal section between Sting and the backing vocals. It's, this song's been covered by numerous artists, including Robert Palmer and the Black Crows. It, it sums up the record because it does really showcase the blend of rock, pop, and reggae um, in this particular track. But I mean, I, I like this song, but the album as a whole, it just is not my favorite Police album. It's still good, but it's always confounded me. Yeah, so, you know, as you suggested, you know, unlike other, uh, you know, the first three police albums, this one did feature uh, a lot more horns and, and keyboards. Uh, in fact, all three members of the band are, are playing synths. They had actually moved on from uh, Nigel Gray, who had co-produced the first three records, uh, and they went with, uh, is it uh, Hugh Padham? I, I think that's how you pronounce it, who, uh, you know, was known for the drum sound that he achieved with Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins. A little foreshadowing there. I, I'm always, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by recording techniques. You know, so he had the, the members of the group in separate rooms. So they had, he had Andy Summers in the main studio with his guitars and amplifiers. Uh, Sting was in the control room with his bass directly plugged into the desk. Uh, and Copeland is in the dining room with his drums uh, to, to get a live feel. So that's, I always you know, think that stuff is, uh, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, okay, well, let's, uh, let's hear another cut. This is Secret Journey. Yeah, so I mean, I came to this record kind of like a newborn baby <laughs> to the world of police. First time listening to one of their albums all the way through. Hmm. I, I actually found this pretty interesting. So, I mean, the way they were described to me or when I was reading their bio was like punk rock pop music, which I don't know is really a fair description of this album. Maybe that's better for the rest of the discography. Yeah, for the early stuff in particular, I would say yeah. so. Uh, I also read that this was the first album that had an English title. The first three were in other yeah, languages. That's true. Yeah, the Ghost in the Machine actually refers to a, a book by uh, uh, Arthur Kessler. So it's a, sort of a philosophical book about the relationship between body and mind, or sort of like thought and consciousness versus you know the the physical body. So those themes yeah. supposedly run throughout the the album. Surprise, surprise, Mister Tantric is uh, <laughs> into reading books. Oh, well, he was a teacher too, yes. right? Yeah. Young teacher, the subject. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think the record really does pull more from like a world music aesthetic. Um, you mentioned like the reggae and like there's clearly some dub influences in here as well. My three words are living between worlds. I think it's going for something larger than just traditional pop or, or punk. There's hints of spirituality, like you mentioned on that track we just heard, and then Spirits in the Material World, which I think is also a really good track. But I think what I liked most about this record is just the groove they establish 
in the in like the midi middle of this record it's almost like they're just jamming out at times which i was not at all expecting especially on the track demolition man which i thought was excellent i like the movie i'd go with the the uh, song over the movie yeah actually um <laughs> that demolition man was originally recorded by grace jones you know they, they wrote it for for her and then i guess they weren't satisfied with how she did it and so they did it uh and then sting did re-record it for that that movie in like 90, oh, really? 93 was it that it came out yeah that's funny doc i listened to that grace jones grace jones thank you uh song just a couple weeks ago i did not make the connection at all it sounded totally different <laughs> yeah anyway i really i really like this i i'm not like i said i'm not a huge police head but i really found this pretty enjoyable so uh, I often uh, I neglect talking about the album artwork, uh, but I do I do find this one uh, interesting. Uh, it was done by Mick Haggerty, and it's meant to be like a, a digital display of the the three members of the band. Yeah, so it's like that. Uh, I guess they call it like a sixteen segment um, display, like would be on a digital uh, alarm clock or something. I just thought it was supposed to look computery at yeah. the time. So yeah. So- Good stuff. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, The Police with Ghost in the Machine, released in October of 1981. <laughs> Goddamn death dedication. <laughs> is Don on the phone? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Well, if you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. I'm Casey Kasem. These are the hits you're buying and radio stations are playing from coast to coast. Do you like Phil Collins? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're going with Phil Collins. Face Value, an album released in 1981 with a smash hit and a request in dedication. This is In the Air Tonight by Mr. Collins. How damn many times do I have to hear that before I'm tired of it? Because I ain't. And, uh, doesn't get I old. can't. I can't get there. I don't know how it doesn't get old. I hope the audience is listening with headphones. Me too. We can do some ASMR for them. (laughs) It is gross, especially coming from a fellow like myself. (laughs) So Philip David Charles Collins, LVO, which has something to do with being a knight. I don't know if it's the round table or what, but it's British stuff. Uh, Renowned musician and actor, became involved with Genesis in 1970 as their drummer. In 75, he took over as the singer when Peter Gabriel left. And I was completely unfamiliar with that at the time, with Genesis, with Peter Gabriel, any of it. It was Phil Collins' solo stuff that made me know who he is and then thusly know who Genesis is. The album Face Value was a debut album recorded in 81. He was uh, just recording some stuff at home, getting over a divorce and making demos, and it ended up turning into a record with guests from uh, Eric Clapton and uh, Alfonso Johnson, Phoenix Horns from Earth, Wind, and Fire filled in the filled in the sound on the the sort of soulful Motown inspired tracks. The album has been praised for its depth, its honesty, innovative use of synthesizers, vocoders, vocal manipulation, some pretty cool stuff. And In the Air Tonight is known for that drum sound, the drum machine, that slow churn. I mean, you guys, what do you think? I mean, that song has got to be ingrained in you. I think it's ingrained in anyone that listens to music. Yeah, it's iconic, man. It's part of our culture. 
Nodding doesn't help, Don. <laughs> uh, I remember the the video well. You know, I feel like is it just like yeah. his floating head through most of it, kind of? Yeah, like a Wizard of Oz type of situation. <laughs> uh, the the lyrics were supposedly written in the moment, but clearly some anger and frustration there. Pretty dark song, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I feel like it kind of uh it ushered in that like Miami Vice <laughs> sound, <laughs> you know, those those darker like early 80s synthy then horn-filled something like uh you belong to the city and stuff like all that kind of that stuff all kind of feels like it was birthed here. Uh the three words I used to describe the album are fills face value. Um, he explored his influences and got to use them, got to do stuff he would have never done with Genesis. And um, I think it's I think it's a really interesting sound from a man you wouldn't expect an interesting sound to come from when you look at that album cover. All right, so why don't we listen to another track? This one is called The Roof is Leaking. Woke this morning and my hands were frozen Oh, I tried to fix the fire, but you know yeah, so that track really stands out sonically from the rest of the record. Uh, much more simple in terms of the production. I really liked it. I mean, I think it really it shows off his voice in particular and all the emotion he's feeling at the time and maybe a little bit of angst in there as well. I found that pretty compelling. So my three words to describe this record are extreme close-up. Extreme close-up! Yeah, I mean, it's one of those records, again, we've talked about a lot on the show where it has kind of like a light, almost joyous sound to the music here, but the lyrics are incredibly dark and very uh, honest and forthright. There's that distinct 80s drum sound and just kind of general 80s sheen to this record. I don't know, but with the exception of a couple songs, which are, you know, unmistakably well-crafted, I felt like the rest was a little bit loose and it felt more like just sketches of songs, especially as we get into the second half. I don't know. It made me honestly want to go listen to Genesis. I didn't really appreciate it as much on its own as I was expecting to. <laughs> Dude is shocked. He <laughs> <laughs> was thinking about lunch. <laughs> Actually, I am. Yeah, that song is uh, a little bit different on the record in terms of its themes, too. He kind of steps away from the fallout from his divorce and and life-changing family, you know, his kids, not having his kids around and stuff, and tells a little story instead. There's some folky elements in there, uh, but still using some of those those, uh, digital vocal tools that kind of makes it fit on the record even though it's a different sound uh, one of the other I guess moments it's a little more uh, like a like a pop ballad is um, if leaving me is easy mm. yes you guys oh yeah that's track? Great. and there's moments on that that really really sounds like they influence you know we talked about Tomoko Aran a few weeks back that that uh, city pop Japanese mm-hmm pop music and there were moments on that that really reminded me of that vibe on that song. I just thought it was I thought it was interesting. I kept thinking about her when I was hmm. hearing that that song. Very cool. So I I, I you know I, I think this is an unusual that's an unusual sound for for this record and for him and for that time. And I think he did some accidental innovation without really 
intending to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so why don't we um, listen to a, a song that focuses more on some of his other influences, the the rest of the world, and a more soulful, horn-filled life. This is called Hand in Hand. I actually love the drum part there. Yeah, so um, there's like that that progressive instrumental stretch um, on on side one um, that starts with droned uh, and then goes into this uh, hand in hand. Um, that's actually like my my uh, favorite part of the the album. Droned kind of had like a Indian raga sound, uh, and then this hand in hand kind of has jazz elements um there's a, a children's choir from uh la that you just heard there kind of humming the music and then you have some uh, improvisation between uh, phil collins and the and the phoenix horns so yeah you know i i do think you know my my favorite parts of uh phil collins catalog are are kind of like the more progressive things the three words i i chose to describe the album and actually i didn't do three words at all i just did uh take a look at me now which are the lyrics from uh, Against All Odds. I, I won't sing that part. Oh, wow. <laughs> we know you want to, man. <laughs> I'm dying right now. I'm just, come I won't on. Do it. I'm not gonna. You know what? Uh, oh, come on. Take a look at me now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, um, you know, I think like all the, just like with the Stevie Nicks, you know, this is kind of, you know, Phil Collins, you know, getting the opportunity to, to do his own, uh, his own thing. Uh, and this kind of encapsulates sort of everything he does in his career, you know. So you have like the the romanticy, ballady songs, some of that more jazz influenced stuff in the in the horns, uh, and then you still have some of that weird, you know, Genesis sounding stuff. And so it's all here on on this album. Well, I feel like that song sounds more like something Peter Gabriel would have done. Yeah, that's. That's true. And you know. what an interesting story for like Phil Collins to just be, you know, be the drummer in a band. All of a sudden you're the front man. Uh, and then you're like a big enough star, you know, to, you know, to go solo and be gigantic, you know. Yeah. You know, I've always kind of had like a weird relationship with, with Phil Collins. You know, he. <laughs> yeah. Did he take you to his ranch and <laughs> let you sleep in a bed with him? <laughs> you walked into that one, Don. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for some reason, I mean, I've always appreciated and respected his talents, but, you know, I, you know, I think there's just some artists sometimes you just don't feel a real personal connection with. I'm not sure, but, um, I, I did, I did like this album a lot and, and I'll probably end up, you know, being a, a, a big Phil Collins fan in the end. So I'm kind of teeter tottering here on Album Nerds Hall of Fame. I think it's his best and most experimental and interesting record. He had other ones with a lot of pop hits, a lot, Sue Studio and all that stuff. And I feel like it impacted and helped shape and shift the music scene at the time. I think I'm going to, for a third freaking week in a row, I'm going to nominate an album. This one for the album. It's all the fame. Maybe I'm a little too fast and loose with this. I don't know, but... With the research I did and the listening I did, I, I do feel like it is worthy. You're an easy lover. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I think there might be... Oh, no, it's another vote. <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be some future version of me that maybe does appreciate this, but at least Andy in 2023 is going to say no. <sighs> maybe when, you're, when you finally lose your hair, you'll, you'll feel a connection. <laughs> yes. We, we should sell Andy t-shirts that just say no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've shot down like the last... How many of your picks, dude? <laughs> Three or four? That's three in a row. Is that three? Tic-tac-toe, motherfucker. Right. Okay, well, we've set the stage already, so I'll vote yes, just so we get... <laughs> so, it, again, it, it goes back to the uh, to the listeners. But, again, you know, I'm not the biggest Phil Collins fan in the world, but I um, I think it's a great point uh, about sort of that that um, you were born in the city sound um, that, that dominated the 80s. Yeah. I, I do think yeah. um, Phil Collins is responsible for that or, or contributed to the that. Miami Vice sounds yeah yeah you can coin that phrase dude and I and I also uh I also want to mention that this is my wife's favorite album of all time oh all time. I see why you nominated it now it's for yeah, your own for, safety for my own safety she doesn't listen to this show <laughs> what are you serious <laughs> just kidding now she's she's our number one fan fellow album nerds let's Stop the tyranny of Andy and his basically hatred of me and my taste <laughs> and my picks. Uh, so why don't you go to albumnerds.com slash discord or albumnerds.com, cast your vote. Let's get Phil Collins face value in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame where it belongs. What did we learn today? 1981 Top 40 Landscape. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, we had it was interesting. We had two two albums that were you know from solo artists or newly minted solo artists from from pretty popular groups. I had a quote from Andy Summers where he was saying that the Ghost in the Machine kind of felt like uh, a Sting solo album. Like the the group dynamic had had kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know been been shattered, and they were supporting him. Yeah, I mean, you definitely can hear that that eighties sound taking root, especially in the drums on on the majority of these records. Not so much CB next, but the other two. What about you, Don? Yeah, well, I was I was just thinking you know how big the star power is uh, on this episode i'm not sure if we've ever done an episode with like just three giant artists yeah you know i mean if the the combined sales of of, of these uh you know of these three artists is, <laughs> i know it's off the charts <laughs> yeah the way i measure it is that i have a copy of each on vinyl so that when i was going through this week i'm like oh my god i have all three of these that rarely happens <laughs> you know what i like about these three albums is so even though I mean, these were the biggest albums of the year or, you know, among the, the biggest albums of the year and they sold a ton. But you still have three artists that are kind of like breaking new ground or sort of experimenting or doing their own thing. I, I don't get the sense that they were just like chasing hits um, or, or, you know, uh, succumbing to, you know, uh, commercial interests. You know, there you have three artists really, you know, trying to do something new and interesting. Boil it down. I think what we learned here is Andy is a jerk. Sorry, <laughs> Andy's a jerk, and music makes the oh, world come go on. round. I knew that before we started, and that's and that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, children of the '80s, gather round. 
give the old wadbot here another spin and see what our musical destiny has in store. Howdy partners, your musical destiny is to explore albums by artists who appeared on the American country music themed television variety show, Hee Haw. Best of luck. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What are you? What are you born in 1981? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. Hee Haw is an American television variety show featuring country music and humor. It ran from 1969 to 93, and then again from 96 to 97, and, it, and it's been broadcast all over. So artists that performed on Hee Haw. Is this a children's program or is this for adults? It sounds like a children's program. What are you? Who are you? I've never heard of this show in my entire life. All right. So tune in next week for an episode on Hee Haw. I'll figure out what the hell that is. Hee Haw. It's <laughs> a reminder that we have three, count them, three ongoing Einhoff inductee nominations in the balance. You can rock the vote yourself. Go to albumnerds.com or albumnerds.com slash discord. And uh, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down for... Billy Joel's The Stranger still has a couple weeks left. And we got Sweet Baby James by James Taylor. And now we have uh, Phil Collins and uh, FaceTime. Face value. Face value. <laughs> Disrespect to the very end. Three dude picks. <laughs> I'll cast asunder by Andy. Yep. I, th- I smell a grudge. Okay. <laughs> uh, who was your favorite guest on Hee Haw? Uh, what else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at albumnerds. And please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you so much for joining us on the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll catch you next time when we talk about some hee-haw. Thanks for listening to me uh, shoot down yet another dude pick. See you next week. Thank you. Well, I remember, I remember, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry.